0: And pray uh, for Camp Living Waters and all the kids that are going to be there this summer and for God's blessing as we study His Word together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done through Camp Living Waters over the past 50 years and the lives that have been impacted. There are many here probably who could give testimony to the ways in which you've worked mightily through the counselors and the directors and programming and. Lord, we just ask for your blessing to be upon what takes place this summer. Please provide all the staff that they need and, and already begin to work on these these uh, campers' hearts. Lord, we know there'll be some there who've never heard the name of Christ, never heard the gospel message. Uh, Lord, change their lives this summer. Guide us now as we open up the scriptures. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, give us hearts to receive your word. May your Holy Spirit write its eternal truths. Amen. Please join me in the Gospel of Mark, chapter twelve. The Gospel of Mark, in the twelfth chapter, we'll begin reading at verse twenty-eight. While you're turning there, I, I got to say, in my uh, as I was studying throughout this, the passage this week. Um, there was something that didn't dawn on me until just this morning. i would never seen it in this passage before. In fact, I don't know that anyone has ever seen this. I haven't read it, any commentaries, any Bible teachers, or any pastors. So I think maybe I'm the first person to see this in this passage. I just, want to, I'm kidding, but I just want you to know that if you ever hear a Bible teacher say that, just turn off the TV. Just tune out, because in the 2,000 years of church history, if they're the first ones who have figured it out, then it's probably not the real deal. But I, I discovered something in this passage about this man who comes to Jesus today. This is, in my, as far as I understand, the only college student who Jesus interacts with. Yeah, that's right. A college student. I think Jesus is talking to a college student today in, in this particular passage. And here's why I think that. Because he's going to come to Jesus and he wants to know how he can summarize the entire law. Now, the only thing I can figure out is this kid's got a test on the Pentateuch, on the, on the Old Testament law tomorrow, and he wants to know. He, has, he couldn't find the CliffsNotes version of the first five books of the Bible, so he comes to Jesus and he says, I want to know how you summarize the entire law. Can you boil it down for me? Now, it tells us actually this man's not a college student but a lawyer. And then is his question. He wants to know, what's, what's, if, I could, if I could just have one commandment, what is it? If you can summarize all 600 plus laws, how would you do it? That's what Jesus encounters today. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. It says, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them, well, speaking of Jesus. Yes, and which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel. And a loved one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. In today's story, Jesus had just finished disputing with the, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of religious folks that did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe... That, those were, that, that, that men and women in Christ were going to rise again from the dead one day. And so Jesus had been arguing and, and debating with them a little bit. And it tells us in our passage here that one of the scribes, he heard how the, tra- the, the, the interchange was going and, and he, he said, man, Jesus is wise. This man who's talking to these Sadducees is, is wise. And so I'm going to ask him my questions. You know, in... It's all a matter of how you pose questions. In the Bible, there's no... Um, God's not anti-question. The, God welcomes the searching heart, the questioning heart. The problem, ladies, is, is how you approach it. If you've already got your mind made up and you're going to Jesus to instruct him on why he's wrong, and your questions are all meant to trip him up, that's not going to go well for you. It never did for anybody else in, in any of the Gospels. But this man was different. This man him with a genuine questioning heart. He approached him knowing that Jesus was wise, and he truly wanted Jesus' opinion. The text tells us that he's a scribe. A a scribe was a teacher of the law. They were the, uh, the, the first century theologians. They were the people who were the experts in biblical interpretation among the Jews. And so this was a question this guy had probably wrestled with, debated with other scribes over, and he wanted to come and get this wise teacher's opinion and see what he had to say. And so Jesus interacts with him. He sees the man's heart. He knows that he's truly searching. And so he answers this question. And as, as we think about today's message, the title of... What we're looking at today is called first things first. First things first. And the first thought, if you're filling out the notes in your blanks, is the call to listen to God. The call to listen to God. Jesus' answer in verse 29 is straightforward. He goes right to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The most important is, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Now before we get into Jesus' actual answer, he prefaces it with these words. Listen up, Israel. Hear, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now if we're going to, if if we're truly interested in knowing what the greatest commandment is, if we're truly interested in boiling things down to to know how we can please God and and interact with our fellow man, we, we need to listen That was the call to to the Israelites. And that's, that's God's call to us. Hear, O Brown Corners Church. Hear. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He starts off with a title of God referring to his great majesty. Of his otherness. That when God speaks, we should be ones who listen. He is the creator. We are the creation. When God's voice comes to us through his word, we need to allow our ears to perk up and pay attention. Have you ever been in the the airport and uh, you hear the loudspeaker kind of droning? After a while, it kind of becomes background noise. You go about looking for your gate maybe grabbing a bite to eat, sitting down and reading a book or checking your text messages. And you kind of just ignore the wah, wah, wah coming through the speaker. But all of a sudden, you hear your flight number. Or even better yet, you hear your own name. And what do you do? All of a sudden, you're listening. You want to know what they have to say, because they're talking to you. And what they have to say directly applies to you. Maybe your flight's canceled. Maybe your bag got chewed up again, and then, and you've got to go to the claim counter or whatever. You want to hear what they're saying over the loudspeaker, because all of a sudden, now, that, that voice is, is not just droning on, but it's speaking to you directly. And that's what God's Word does. Every time we open up the Word of God, He's speaking to us. He's got something to teach us in the Scriptures that we need to hear. That's why He says, Hear, O Israel. Listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We do well to pay attention when God speaks. Secondly, we have the command to love God the command to love God. You see that in verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The command here comes straight from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's what the the Jews called the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear or listen. The, the word we just, just read back in verse 29. It was a Jewish confession of faith, so to speak. It was something that they recited early in the morning and again before they went to bed. It's the, the text that they would put. If you ever seen pictures of devout Jews with the phylacteries, the little black boxes on their forehead... ...they would put this text in there because it was an important passage... To who they were. And Jesus is telling us today. That it is the cornerstone. Of every other command. Given in scripture. This is an absolute must. For every scripture. Or for every Christian. To love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your mind and with all your strength. This is not an optional add-on item at the end of a buffet or whatever. this is, this is core to the Christian faith. You can't be a Christian and not love God. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16:22, "If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. That's, that's, those are pretty strong words. If you call yourself a Christian, there should be a love for the Lord. If you're married, and you tell your spouse that you love them, but there's never any actions that back that up, but they're going to begin to question your sincerity. If you tell them you love them with your words, but there's no actions involved, no affection involved, they're going to be wondering whether it's true. The Bible says you can't truly be a Christian if you don't love the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said it well in a sermon he preached way back in 1857. He says, you talk of God with great propriety, but you never talk of him with love. Your heart never bounds at the mention of his name. Your eyes never glisten at the thought of his attributes. Your soul never leaps when you meditate on his words. For your heart is all untouched. And while you are honoring God with your lips, your heart is far from him. And you are still disobedient to this command: You shall love the Lord your God. That that love should flow out of who we are. Right from our heart. In the the original language, it says, with all your heart, with all your soul. That, That preposition with could be translated out of. It should come from down deep. From, should stem from the relationship that we have for him, the love that we have for him. Paul, I'm sorry, Jesus here is telling us to love with all of who we are. He mentions your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. First of all, he mentions your heart. Now, these all, uh, they overlap a little bit in their meaning, but they all have a little bit different nuance. First, your heart. The heart was the Hebrew understanding it was of the, of the core of, of who a person was. It was their identity. It was the source of their thoughts, their words, their actions. For that reason, Proverbs 4.23 commands, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Love for God must flow from the deepest part of our beings. With all of our heart, he's telling us. Love for God. Not just going through the motions. From the very bottom of our souls. And that's the second one. He says, with all your soul. Now, soul adds emotions into the mix. Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. As Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Hebrews looked at the soul as the... Is the, the, the fountain of emotions. Listen, I realize that all of us are, are, are created differently. we different personalities. We're all in different places on an emotional spectrum. But God created emotions. Emotions are a good thing. And emotions should be involved in our worship and in our relationship with God. When we truly encounter God for who He is, in His beauty and glory and majesty... Our our souls should be stirred a little bit. Our passions are roused at at the thought of this amazing God loving us. Maybe Maybe it's a scripture that you read for the very first time you've never seen it before. Or maybe it's a particular song that comes on the radio that points you to God in an amazing way. Our souls, our affections should be stirred. If, if all you've got, listen, again, I realize we're all in different places on the emotional spectrum, but if your spouse comes to you and, and they've just done something amazing for you, but you, you fill in the blank, what it is that just, just brightens your day, that your spouse, and maybe they made your favorite meal, maybe they, they did a chore that you absolutely hate, and you're just so thankful, and, and you come to them and, and your only response is, thank you, I love you. And then you walk away. Like, wait a minute, they just went overboard. They just did something, just, they just poured themselves out in love, and that's all you got? Really? That's all you got? If day in and day out, that's all you, that's all your interaction is with your spouse, there's, there's, there's definitely some, some counseling needs that need to take place there. And, and the Bible says that if we keep, if we read Scripture, if we hear worship songs, If we we listen to brothers and sisters in Christ give testimony about what God's doing in their life, and none of that stirs our soul, at least a little bit, there's a problem. Jesus says, I want you to love me with your soul, from, from the bottom of who you are. Love your God with all your soul. He says, love him with all your mind. With all your mind. Now, notice with each of these, the word all is in there. It means not a half-hearted effort, but all of you is going in to to loving God, and and, and he says here, your mind. The mind embraces the will and the intentions and the purposes. It means that that as a Christian, being a Christian and thinking are not uh, diametrically opposed to one another. Like, God wants us to use our minds. I know that Christians... And sometimes rightfully are criticized for just, just, just blind faith. You don't, you don't think. There's no intellect. Well, it's simply not true. And it shouldn't be true. God wants us to use our mind in worshiping and loving him. That means that as we study scripture, how many of you know that some, some things in the Bible are hard to understand? Sometimes the first time I read them, I just think, what? What does he say in there? I don't get that. Don't just rush over it and move on. Go back and wrestle with that passage. Do battle with it. Look at cross-references. Get your Bible study tools out. They're online if you don't have them on your bookshelf. And figure out what that passage is saying. Because I guarantee you that God will bless you by loving Him with your mind. Do battle with hard text of Scripture. Love God with all your mind. And then finally, he says, with all your strength. This is your, your physical energy and function. The, the idea that Jesus is trying to get across here is that I want every bit of your being thrown into loving me. All of who you are, both physical and in your, your immaterial parts, I want all of you thrown into loving me. Have you ever seen a picture of a, an Olympic sprinter as he's, as, he's, as he's crossing the finish line? In, 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 a, in a short race like that, you can't waste a single motion. Not that I know much about racing, but I've, I've read about it. And, and you, can't, you can't allow yourself to, to have... When you're talking about about tenths and hundreds and thousands of seconds, you can't, you can't waste any motions. And so as they approach that finish line, you'll often see them lunging forward to cross that tape. And I just love those pictures because you're seeing this guy who is, who is for the last however many... A meters given everything he's got, and he's, he's putting that last final bit of his effort into beating that, that other guy by a, a thousandth of a second across that tape. And I think that, that idea, that image captures what Jesus is saying. I want all of you thrust in to loving God, to loving God, and our God is so worthy of our love, not just because of what he does for us, he does so. So many things for us, but just because of who he is, he is innately valuable and worthy of our love. But then when you add on top the things that he does for you, I mean, just, you know, we can be so unthankful. At least I can. Maybe I'm just up here speaking for myself. I can be so unthankful because I, I lose sight of all the good things that God does. Because I, I you know, you get distracted with, you know, a bad doctor's appointment or or kids that aren't being obedient or a, a uh, head cold that won't go away. And, and it's so easy to hone our, our attention on the stuff that's not going right. But all around us, God's blessings are coming down like we're standing under, underneath of Niagara Falls. It just keeps coming and coming, grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing. And he's worthy of our love for all that and more. You know, as we think about loving God, one of the most important things we can do is look at the example of Jesus. How Jesus' love for the Father was such a tremendous example. I love what R.C. Sproul says about this. He says, consider Jesus. Was there any portion of the Lord's heart that was not completely in love with the Father? Did Jesus restrain his soul from affection for his heavenly Father? Was there anything that the Father revealed that Jesus ignored as being unworthy of his attention? Was his affection for the Father spineless, weak affection, or did he manifest the most powerful, strong affection for the Father that's ever been seen on this planet? You know the answers to these questions. The Lord Jesus kept the great commandment perfectly. Every second of his life, he loved the Father with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his strength. Had he not done that, he would not have fulfilled the law of God and would not have been worthy to save himself. Let alone save us. Love the Lord your God. Then we see finally the command to love others. The command to love others. Mark 12, 31 tells us that Jesus Jesus gave the man a, a bonus a bonus answer here. The guy asked what what's the greatest, what's the first and foremost command? And Jesus told him that. And he says, let me give you another one. The second is like this, number two. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. He starts with the vertical. And that's where we have to start. A relationship with God has to be first priority. We must get that right if we're going to relate to one another in a way that honors God. Jesus didn't ask for this command. Jesus simply threw it in there. And he said all their 611 laws fall under these two broad umbrellas. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now I realize that when Jesus says that, there may be some people here who say, well, I don't love myself. I don't care much for myself. I I, I blew it here, I'm frustrated over here, I'm kind of, kind of upset with myself. That, Jesus, I God understands, and he knows our heart, and he knows sometimes we we struggle with with our, our view of ourselves. And that's that may be another message for another time. But all he's trying to communicate is here is we 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 do show concern for our most basic needs. If, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost lunchtime here. My tummy's starting to growl. I'm going to go get something to eat. I'm going to find some food because I'm hungry. Or when I'm thirsty, I'm going to get something to drink. We, we care about our needs and we take care of ourselves, even if it's in its most basic form. And Jesus is saying, I want you to love others more than yourselves. This is what Paul taught in Philippians chapter 2. You may be familiar with this, these two verses here. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what Jesus is saying here. I want you to look at one another. I want you to look to your neighbors. And I want you to show them love. Now we know that sometimes... This is easy, right? Sometimes this comes natural. When someone's nice to us, when someone's very lovable, maybe someone's just given us a great gift, children are being well behaved, love comes a whole lot more easily. But when someone's been a little unkind to us, a little curt, a little unfriendly, maybe even flat out mean to us, command is a little more challenging when that person has done you harm when that person maybe is an enemy and treated you miserably being obedient to this command all of a sudden gets a little more difficult maybe the person is just flat out annoying maybe they get out under your skin maybe it's the way they talk the fact that they don't stop talking I don't know None of us are, are annoyed people, but we all know people who could be like that. And Jesus says, love them, love, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and despitefully use you, he says in the Sermon on the Mount. That's a little more challenging. But you see, this goes to the core of who we are as Christians. We have a God who has loved us unconditionally. And forgiven us freely of our sin. And he calls us to do the same with other people. <laughs> I uh, in, in uh, The books of 1 John and James are, are difficult books to read because they're so in your face. In fact, I just like to skip over them all together. Because they're just so blunt and convicting. It's just best to... Read something that just makes you feel good. Don't read James and 1 John, because they will get in your face. I mean, look at 1 John 4.20 here. Look what John says. If any of you say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's what you really think, John. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. So think about this with me for a second. Let's say you're just you're loving the first half of what Jesus said. God, I love you. Oh, God, I worship you. God, I praise you. And yet you got people you can't even even look at, let alone talk to. The Bible says that's not okay. You proclaim your love for your Savior, and yet you harbor hatred in your heart towards someone. Christians can't do that. A true Christian will love God and will love his neighbor. So this scribe here, he, he's amazed and impressed with what Jesus' answer is. He agrees with Jesus. He says, You're right, teacher. Verse 32, you've truly said. And he goes, he goes through and recites and repeats Jesus. And Jesus' reply uh, in verse 34. Says that he saw that the man answered wisely. And he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He says, you're getting it. You're really close. The only thing he's missing at this point is Jesus. And acknowledging who Jesus is. That's the only thing. That's why Jesus says you're close. You're really close. But you've got you to believe that in who I am who I claim to be. And then you'll be there. But you know, as I think about this, what Jesus said. These are real practical words. As we think about applying this to our life, we need to ask ourselves this morning, am I loving God the way that he wants me to? What is it in my life right now that demonstrates a genuine love for God? We must remember that that love looks like something. If you say that you love someone, it's going to, Look like something. I want you to just imagine for a second. Let's in this church we we do we have weddings from time to time. This summer we'll probably have a few and there'll be folks just like you here in the, in the seats. And often when I when I perform a wedding ceremony, we'll have the, you know, at the beginning of the ceremony. We the, I'll come in with the groom, and then eventually the bridal party will spread out here, and then. We all stand and wait for the bride to enter. And just imagine with me, the bride has has poured everything into how she's looked. I mean, she has just been back there. They've, she's, they've, they've worked extra hard to keep the groom from seeing her all morning long. She's spent hours doing her makeup and getting her hair just right. Everything about her dress and her veil. No detail has been overlooked. And even the the preparation began months ago when she went looking and picking out the dress and the right accessories. And now her her beautiful day has arrived and the bridal march strikes up. And she's out there right outside those doors just waiting for her groom, just knowing that his eyes are going to light up and he'll be beaming as soon as he sees his glorious bride. Because he's been telling her for months, maybe even years, how much he loves her, how much he adores her. I want you to imagine for just a moment, as those doors open, bridal march is playing, and all eyes are on the bride. Imagine for just a moment that the groom is up here on his phone texting a buddy from work, and the bride is beginning to make her way down the aisle. The, the sound guy turns the music up just a little bit, maybe to get the groom's attention, and He's still laughing and texting his buddy. How far down the aisle do you think the bride would get before she grabs her shoe and throws it at (laughs) you? You see, he could be telling her for months just how precious she is to him, how much he loves him. But where's the demonstration of that love? To love him with all of our being. And we can proclaim that we love him, but how does that look in our life? It's going to manifest itself. Let me just go over a couple areas. It's going to manifest itself in how you use your time. You can't love somebody without spending time with them. Think about your your relationship with your spouse. You can't can't develop a deep relationship without being together. The same is true with our, our walk with the Lord. It, your love for him is going to manifest itself in how, how you use your time throughout the day. What your thoughts are occupied with throughout the day. How you use your money. All these things will demonstrate, will reveal where your affections lie. What do I do in my spare time? What is it that I talk about with people? How do I spend my time and my money loving God? with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he calls us to love others. What is it in my life that demonstrates that I love others? What do I do when an annoying person walks up to my desk and when a person who has been gossiping about me meets me in the hall, how I calls us to love. Listen, it's not a matter of obeying these commands perfectly, of getting it 100% right all the time. Listen, I I can think of several ways in the last 24 hours that I've been But God calls our lives to be on a trajectory of love, of love for the Lord first and foremost, and a love for one another. I want you to just take some time this week to, to turn these things over. What is it in my life that demonstrates that I love the Lord? And what is it in my life that demonstrates that I love His people? Just ask the Lord to reveal if there's ways in which your love has grown weak, is flailing, is is insufficient, and God, by His grace, is going to point those areas out and give you the strength to love when you don't feel like you can Lord Jesus answered this very important question by saying, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than Heavenly Father, you are worthy of our love because you have showered your love upon us. Undeserving sinners. Each person in this room is loved more than they'll ever know. And God, I pray that as we as we meditate on and reflect on the great truth, that our love for you would be reflected back. And it would be evident to all in the things that we do and say. And especially how we treat one another. God, give us the grace to love well. These are resources that we don't have by ourselves. And so we need your Holy Spirit to produce, like Galatians 5 says, your fruit within us so that we might love others the way that you call us to. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do through your word. Power of your Holy Spirit.